Oh, it's sure good to see all of you here in the house of God. My, the Lord is great. God has been moving in a great way. We had just a wonderful time in the Lord Sunday night, Sunday morning, last Thursday evening. I want to talk to you about what I was planning on speaking on Sunday night. And I was all prepared to talk about the rapture, which I have wanted to maybe give a series of, not studies, but I guess studies would be the proper term. Without a lot of hype or anything else, just go through some scriptures with you. And I caught myself Sunday afternoon arguing with God. I thought I was arguing with myself. I said, no, I I don't think I want to do this. And no, I don't want to... I don't think I want to do this. And would you believe, all of a sudden the Lord just spoke to me, that you're, you're arguing with me. And I laid everything aside and quickly complied. I had put together this one study uh, some time ago, but just didn't give it, and that's the one that I talked about last Sunday night. Uh, I actually did that for my own purpose. I really didn't have in mind bringing that to the congregation as much as just I needed to just go through some scriptures, all of which I did. And uh, the Spirit of the Lord came down in a great way. We are the rapture generation. First Thessalonians 4. Now all of you that have your Bibles, we're going to have, we're going to be a, not assigning scriptures, but we're going to be giving scriptures and the first person to find these scriptures we want you to stand. And after you have found three or four in this sword drill, as Brother Manley said, I, I've done this before and I've enjoyed it, uh, we'll have to let you, let somebody else read the scriptures, all right? Because some of you are just, you can just turn there. They, the pages just fall open where I am asking you to read. Now, Paul talks about the rapture, and this is the portion that you hear read so much in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And you may be seated. Oh, thank you, Lord. I just feel that Jesus Christ could come any moment. I mean, I'm, I'm really feeling this. I think that throughout the world, conscientious people are feeling this. That Jesus Christ could come back any moment. And I know that I've been doing some real straightforward preaching recently. But I, I would not want the rapture to take place. And for any reason, through negligence on my part, you'd be not prepared to meet the Lord. I do not believe that all Christians are going up in the rapture. And I have to draw that conclusion by reading uh, many, many scriptures in the Bible, but more specifically, the parables that Jesus gave. I'm amazed at how many parables that Jesus talks about where the kingdom of heaven has been committed in the hands of men, and yet some of the leaders are not prepared to meet him. I would hate to be one of those leaders. I'd hate to know that I stood behind this pulpit on many, many Sunday nights, Monday, uh, Sunday mornings, and, and uh, Thursday evenings, and... 
I was unprepared to meet the Lord. Now, the scriptures that I will bring to your attention tonight, we're not going deep into prophecy. The Lord being our helper, I want to take quite a few nights and just touch on some area, some phase. Uh, tonight, I want to talk about two things that are found in the Scripture that point as definite signs of the coming of the Lord. And that's taken from chapter 5. And the reason why that I want to talk about this is because just yesterday there was a peace uh, agreement signed between Jordan and Israel. And this seems to be of such monumental importance in chapter 5, uh, the Lord talks about the individual who walks with him. And uh, the Bible talks about two things in chapter, verse 3, that I want to call your attention to. But we'll read down through verse 3. But of the times and the seasons, brethren... Ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And when they shall say peace and safety, and those are the two words, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. For ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Now the word rapture uh, comes from a Latin word, uh, raptus that really is not found in the Bible. By that I mean the English word rapture is not found in the Bible. Now, the Greek equivalent to this is found in the Bible, and it simply means to be caught up or to be taken up or taken away. So that is found in the Bible. I, I think that's quite important for us to understand. And the reason being that there are some so-called Christian denominations that because they can't find the English word in the Bible, they refuse to accept that there will be a rapture. But it is definitely explained. I could, I could talk about the catching away without using the word rapture, uh, and it would have little or no bearing at all. I'm just using a word that you are familiar with, and, and the word rapture. Uh, taken from the Latin word, it also means to be caught away or to be caught up. Now this is described also in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you will take and just turn to 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Now, that simply means that death will not happen to all people. Now, in essence, when we talk about death and we talk about uh, it in its biblical term, the word death actually means separation. That's what James talks to us about when he talks to us about pure faith. Faith without works is dead like the body without the spirit. And in that sense... While we do not die physically, there is a change that takes place or there is a separation that takes place when our flesh is changed from mortal to immortal. The Bible says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now, when it speaks of the last trump, it's not talking about the last time that a trumpet will ever sound any place at any time. It's talking about the series of trumpets that takes place when the catching away of the church uh, occurs. We know 
that the dead in Christ will go up first. So if you want to be first in line, come rapture day, you have to die. (laughs) We have to bury you in the ground someplace, all right? Verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians in a, in a little bit different sense than he's talking to those Thessalonians. But nevertheless, uh, he's basically referring to the same thing. And we believe that throughout the ages, the real impetus, the prime mover, so to speak, uh, what is responsible for keeping people's hearts rapture-ready, is that it could occur or could have occurred uh, as far as the people were concerned in any generation. Uh, if you notice in verse 17 in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, pardon me, and we have read this, in verse 17 Paul says, "...then we which are alive and remain." Uh, The Apostle Paul felt that there was nothing hindering the coming of the Lord. You may say, well, was there anything hindering the coming of the Lord? Well, obviously, but Paul didn't know about it. Obviously, there's something hindering the coming of the Lord now. Maybe something I don't know about, but nevertheless, uh, when the fullness of time shall come, uh, I believe that the Lord's going to come back. And the fullness of time is not just speaking of the, the clock that is winding down to the zero hour, but it's also talking about when all the conditions have been met. And because of that, I just want to talk about some of those conditions. Now, in 1988... Someone wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord's Coming in 88. And, of course, this gentleman down in Arkansas felt that he had a, a real inside track on some Scripture, and he, he sold literally millions of copies. In fact, uh, <clears throat> it became the bestseller in the religious ranks for a long time. And this man was on talk shows throughout the states, he donated his time and effort to this to the to the writing of this book. But that, when I say donated, that simply means he, he received no money from it, and he gave all the money to uh, uh, his church or to churches. Now the only catch was that that on one of the talk shows somebody and, and see he said he was right. He knew the Lord was coming in 1988. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, so what happened was that uh, one of the talk show hosts told this man that he would give him, I believe, $20,000 or whatever it was for his house, and we'll go ahead and sign the deal, but it won't take place until after September 2nd, I think that was the date, or September 4th or whatever. So it'll take place like on the day after. And, of course, this man... Refused to sell his house. (laughs) He said, well, there must be some hesitation. (laughs) No, I'm absolutely for sure it's going to take place then. What he did, he went back in the Old Testament and he looked up uh, the ancient feast days and such. And he had all figured out the Lord's going to come back September. I believe it was September 8th, wasn't it? I believe it was September 8th in 1988. Well... Obviously, the Lord didn't come back. Six years later, we're still here on the planet Earth. Shook a lot of people's faith. They thought that, well, maybe the rapture will never take place. But listen, it is going to take place. But we know, according to what Paul is writing in 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 5, verse 1, 
through 5, that he is telling us that it will occur as a thief in the night. So he uses this metaphor uh, to tell us that it's uncertain. By that I mean it's uncertain as to when it will take place. It, it certainly will. But as far as we're, we're concerned, the date, the date it, it's uncertain. And then, of course, unexpected. Because some people don't know the date, then they do not prepare their hearts. And you see, that's the tragedy. And I'm amazed when when the Bible says he's coming as a thief in the night, most people, if they are involved in this profession, they choose the night time because it's easier to slip up on people because this is traditionally when people sleep. And that's what Paul is saying, that we are children of the light or children of the day. So don't go into this nighttime spiritual slumber. Because if you go into this nighttime spiritual slumber, and you see, you can actually do that on Sunday morning. Occasionally, when we come to church on Sunday morning, I feel that some of you are deep into it. You know? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> what... The Bible is telling us that we need to be spiritually alert all the time. And if we knew when the thief would come, we would be prepared. But because we don't know when the thief is coming, then uh, we should watch. Now, Jesus stressed this in most of his prophecy. And you'll not only find that Jesus stressed it, but throughout the Bible we find prophecy... Concerning this, the simple word watch is found. And what I want to do is just have you to read some scriptures about watch. In Matthew 24, verse 42 through 44, there is there are scriptures, rather, and the first one to find it, I want you to stand up and read this. Matthew 21, 42 through 44. All right, Rich Thomas has it. All right. Now, I'm sure that if you knew your place was going to be burglarized tonight, you would be waiting. Or at least you'd have some policeman waiting. You'd take some precaution. And, of course, this is what the Scripture is telling us. All right? Jesus gives us a parable, and I spoke about the parables and their importance in interpreting that God not only... He's coming back after the church. He's coming back after only the members of the church who are rapture ready. That is, those people who are prayed up, those people who are separated from the world. So the first one to find Matthew twenty five thirteen, I'd like for you to stand and read this. Matthew twenty five thirteen. All right, Sister Cindy. All right. Now have you ever been looking at something? And yet you were not aware of what happened. And every now and then, this happens. Uh, I think one of the most difficult positions in the church is to be the sound man. Brother Sonny is uh, back there grinning. I remember the other night, somebody needed to... I think I needed more mic or something. We had the portable one. And so I looked back and there was nobody in the, in the sound booth. <clears throat> and uh, I didn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden I saw the top of someone's head. And then the, the person looked up here, and I'm not telling who it was. <clears throat> but if you turn and look at the sound booth and see somebody smiling, they, they might look guilty. I don't know. But, <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> Sonny had his head way down, and he was probably working on a sound system, you know. I'm pretty sure he was. So I told Brother Man, I said, there's nobody back there. He said, oh, yes, there's somebody. Then I saw Sonny, and I said, well, I think he's asleep. And when he rose up, Sonny, <laughs> Brother Man said, no, I think he's eating a sandwich. 
<laughs> now you know what we're talking about up here, Brother Sonny. But you, you sit back there and you're, you're waiting and waiting and waiting on something to happen, and nothing happens. In other words, you're waiting for somebody to grab a mic, and nothing happens. And so you just wait and wait and wait, and it's easy. It's extremely easy then for your mind to drift while you're watching. And every now and then, I run into that same situation. I've talked with some of the kids of the Christian school that were in a hurry. Not too long ago, I looked in the eyes of a little boy that was running through the hallway, and I stopped him. And I looked right in his eyes, and he was so eager to go, I knew he hardly knew who stopped him. And as soon as I turned him loose and told him not to run, guess what he did? He took out running. I had to stop him two or three times. I said, now wait, I don't know where you're going. I said, but look up at me. I said, I am Brother Grant, and you're not to run. And finally, I woke him up. He realized. <laughs> you know, you talk about a blank mind, but I was wondering if there was a mind in there at all. My, my wife is... She collects real goofy tapes. Now, you wouldn't know this of her, but she laughs a lot, you know. <laughs> but she's got all kinds of tapes. If you, She can just play tapes for hours and hours and hours about goofy stories. But she picked up one tape. It's a six-hour long tape, and it's about Hank the Cow Dog. And it's life from, the, from a dog's perspective. And... <clears throat> What the dogs do, they sit around and swat flies and sleep all day and carouse all night. And they're in charge of ranch security, this dog by the name of Hank. Hank's favorite place to take a bath is down where the sewer empties out. <laughs> he says it has a real manly smell. <clears throat> manly, not manly. <laughs> but... <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask Brother Manley to preach Sunday morning, but I just backed out now. At any rate, Hank the cow dog, who's in charge of ranch security, he has a sidekick by the name of Drover. And he's always talking about how, how Drover is always daydreaming. He said not, any, not only is he daydreaming, he said, uh, he's got a little tiny brain. In fact, he said, I looked right into his eyes, and I can see all the way to his tail. And he said, there's absolutely nothing in between. He always has this blank stare. And spiritually speaking, the truth of the matter is that, you know, as a pastor of the church, because I'm highly concerned about people and their spiritual welfare, there are many people that walk here in this church. And as I begin to prepare to preach and we worship, I can see this spiritual haze, this cloud all around them. Like they, they'd rather be some other place. I'm here because, well, I've been taught all my life I need to be at church. But just not here. So Jesus gives this parable of these five wise and five foolish. They all slumbered and slept. We all have those periods of time. But thank the Lord that five of them, when they heard the beckoning call that it was midnight, that they arose and trimmed their lamps and made sure there was oil in those lamps. And they marched on to great victory. And, of course, they were rapture ready. I'm sorry to say that five of them were not. And this is what that Sister Cindy had, has just read to us about. Now, let's turn to Mark 13, verse 32 through 34, and somebody read it. Okay, Brother Mike Bakken.
All right, that's through verse 34. All right. Now, over and over and over we're warned about this. But, uh, you know, when the Bible says watch, it takes a lot of discipline to be alert all the time. You know that? It takes a lot of discipline to be alert all the time. I thought my son Roy would be here tonight, and he's not here, and I wanted to tell this while he was here. But I remember one year we were deer hunting up at Bob Grosskretz's place up near Westfield. And Roy had not deer hunted much before, and he couldn't go, go to sleep the night before. And I told him, I said, son, you're going to have to go to sleep because tomorrow what you'll do, you'll sleep all day. Well, we, took, we always took Steve and Roy and, and Norman. Now, Norman sat in the van and ate sandwiches all day. <clears throat> That was that was his bag, so to speak. <clears throat> now, Roy found a, a pine tree, and the pine tree was about 25, 30 feet tall, but it, the branches came all the way to the ground, and it must have been 15 or 20 feet in diameter. You know, the tree, the limbs just ran out there. He'd get up in this pine tree. Now, I know why he got up in it. Not so he could hide from the deer, but so he could hide from me. I took my binoculars and he, I watched him. Now, he never moved for hours. I said, he is sound asleep. And would you believe that all of a sudden there was a, a big herd of deer that just came running out of the woods. And there was a like a ten-point buck. had the great big rack and beautiful rack. And all these deer ran, and I thought, oh, Roy, wake up, wake up. But, of course, he's too far away from me to yell. If I yelled, the Lord only knows what would have happened. And all of a sudden, those deer just went. I mean, they just split the tree, you know, each side. And and I was watching, and, and he never moved until they got like 10 feet on the other side. He jumped up like this, and he staggered out, and he picked up his gun and just went boom, 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 boom. Well, I eased down to where he was. He was standing out there shaking his head, and I said, "Son, did did you did you kill one? He said, did you hit one?" He said, "I don't know, Dad." He said, "They just came up on me before I knew it." Well, yeah, I knew what the story was too. I said. Did you see that big buck? And I could tell when I said that, that he didn't recognize. I said, surely you saw there was a buck in there. I mean, we didn't have a doe permit or anything. And he looked stunned. And I said, well, hold it a minute. I said, now what were you shooting at? You know, he rubbed his eyes and looked at the ground. I said, wait now, son, what were you shooting at? And he was pretty young then. He said, I don't know. I guess I was just shooting in amongst them. I said, man, Roy. I said, you were asleep, weren't you, son? He said, I'm afraid I was. I told you, Roy, last night you're supposed to go to sleep. Now, mistakes like that in life you can overlook, can't you? You can laugh about it. We laugh about it, especially when we're talking about something that occurred in a child's life. Now, if Roy t- took any of you teenagers out and you did that, well, he'd talk to you just like I talked with him, you know. And I talked to him about the danger of just shooting in amongst a bunch, bunch of deer. I mean, he could have had six or eight deer laying out there dead and none of them legal. <clears throat> he'd be still in jail. Lana wouldn't even be my granddaughter. (laughs) You know, now we can laugh about things like that, but the truth of the matter is when we spiritually fall asleep, and it's just as easy, because you see, life is tiring. And the pressures of life have, 
have a way of wearing us out. And there's some things that we, just comes against us so hard. It's just How many times have you talked to discouraged people that say, Oh, I just want to give up. And, and it's amazing how deceptive that, that things can be. Because, you know, this, this, I always ask people this when they tell me, I'm thinking about giving up. Well, if you give up, will it get any better? And invariably they all say no. I said, well, you think giving up is the answer? No. I said, if you give up, will, will, will your problem, will there be any hope of it getting any better? No. But that's just the way the devil works, isn't it? He puts that pressure on you, and he keeps that pressure on you. And when you get in the house of God, it's, it's real easy for you to think of nothing, absolutely nothing, but the things that plagued you today and the things that will plague you tomorrow. This is the reason why preachers, when they stand behind the pulpit, they constantly, whether they're leading service or whether they're preaching, they tell you, forget about your problems. Leave your problems at the altar. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. So over and over and over, we're encouraging the Scripture as to what to do to eliminate this particular dilemma. But sometimes we forget. It's very elementary, but we forget. And this is the reason why that, that quite often preachers have to stand behind the pulpit and talk about the seriousness of missing the rapture. Because you see, if you miss the rapture, all you have to do is start reading in Revelation 4 where the rapture takes place and go through Revelation 5, you see the church in heaven, and then go into Revelation 6 when you see all the wrath of God and the judgments of God that are poured out upon the planet Earth. And then you realize, hey, you don't laugh about this like you like laugh at some childhood story. That this is for real. That it's, you know, this is not a practice shot walking through life. You, nobody's going to pinch you one of these days and say, wake up, go back where you started and start all over again. No, you have one chance, one opportunity and, and that's it. So Jesus constantly talks to us about uh, watching. Now, what was the last scripture we just read? Who, who, Brother Mike Bakken read that. So let's turn to Luke 21, verse 34 through 36. And the first one to find this, stand and read it, would you? And Chris Bowie has it, and Chris wants to read it. All right, Chris, stand and read it, would you? <laughs> Did you have it or not? He's got it. What he was doing was trying to pass it over to, to Craig. He found it in a hurry. And I'm here to tell you, oh, Daniel found it. Give that book to Daniel. Daniel, stand. They were passing the Bible around like it was a hot potato. Stand up, Daniel. Read Luke 21, 34 through 36. That's all right. It still has that scripture in there, doesn't it? Now, you notice what he said. He was quoting the words of Jesus, and basically what he's saying, not only watch, but pray that those days of evil do not come upon you. You need to pray that you will be rapture ready. God, I want to be rapture ready. I don't want to miss the rapture. I want to go up and be with the Lord. Praise God. And that day and that hour is soon to, to, to come. I believe with all my heart. Now... Uh, we're not going to spend as much time reading about deceive or deception because there's a lot in the Bible, but I would like to call your attention to the prophecy of Jesus. And so the first one to find Matthew 24, verse 4. Would you please stand and read this? Matthew 
All right, take heed that no man deceive you. Now, it doesn't just say that you be deceived. Some people, James talks about self-deception and, and how great that it is. But there are a lot of people on the planet Earth that are just set out to deceive. And, and you know, if, you, if anyone is here of uh, this persuasion and you take offense to it, I suppose that's, that's all right. But nevertheless, I, I, I feel I've got to say this. When, when you believe a doctrine like Jehovah's Witness believe that there is no hell and no rapture and and such, you can understand how that people can literally lure others into deception. I mean, just lure them into deception. And, And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of false doctrines out there. You may say, are you saying that this is a false doctrine? I don't know of any so-called Christian denomination on the face of the earth that's based upon more lies than the JW's doctrine, period. I say that without reservation. All the way from their New World Translation of the Bible, which is really a commentary, it's not an actual translation. Most of their own people don't know how they got that Bible. And they go around and talk to people about current events. Let me tell you something. If I had a fear of God in my heart and a fear of hell and I wasn't willing to live for God, and I wanted to live uh, in my own sin, that would be a very appealing doctrine to me. And you can understand why. Because you can do what you want to, and your conscience don't hurt you. Now, please understand, I do believe they have guidelines and such. But if you don't fear eternity... And it's just not in line with what Jesus taught. See that men do not deceive you. In other words, don't let anybody deceive you about this important uh, issue. And Matthew 24 is dedicated to prophecy concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's read Matthew 24, verse 24. Very similar verse. Who has this? Several people have it, I know, but they don't want to stand and read it. Okay, Cindy. Yeah, all right. You know what the Scripture says? In the last days there will be false Christs and false prophets. And if possible, they will deceive the very elect. Now... The elect that's found in the Scripture on certain occasions, it's talking about the country of Israel or those practicing Jehovah worship. Other places, it is talking about the New Testament church, those that make their calling election sure. That's talking about the New Testament Christians or those who are Jewish as far as their faith is concerned. Because we are sons of Abraham... And so is, but we're not natural sons of Abraham, blood sons of Abraham, but we're sons by faith. In other words, we have the, the same faith that Abraham practiced exercising God. Now, I made this statement not long ago, and we talked about the, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now, the false prophet that's spoken of in the Bible, we're going to get into this in a few weeks. We're just going to talk about the coming of the Lord for a little while. But the false prophet and the Antichrist is spoken of in the Bible. One shall build up the other, edify the other. Basically, the false prophet will, will do exactly what John the Baptist did when he introduced the true Christ. There will be a false prophet. John the Baptist was the true prophet that, enter, that, that introduced the Christ. There will be the false prophet that will introduce the Antichrist. So one is leading up to the other. But the Bible tells us, that this man will show great signs and wonders, even to the point of pulling down fire out of heaven. Now, let me ask you this. Any religious leader of our day, I think without question, regardless of what he believed, if he performed great miracles, the human race right now is in a position to accept him. And most people would do it without reading the Bible. And a lot of Pentecostals would do it. Some of the, the elect will do it. You know the reason why? Now listen to me very carefully. 
Now, I want to be real plain, real frank with you on this issue, because sometimes these television evangelists that you know nothing of, and those that you know of that do not believe in Jesus' name, baptism, and the oneness of God, that our people will go to them, those men will pray for them and lay hands on them, and they'll get every tape, whether it be a videotape or audio tape or whatever, and send money to them. And you may say, well, Brother Grant, I, I don't really see the significance of what you're saying. Uh, they, these men are anointed of God. I also know in the Bible that there was a man that was heavily anointed of the Lord. His name was Apollos. But the Bible tells us when this, when this Bible-believing, conscientious couple went, and when they heard by the, the, the great power of, by which this man preached, they did not manifest a burden uh, to become his convert. Rather, they manifested a burden to go and explain the word of the Lord more perfectly to him. And so Aquila and Priscilla went to this man and explained the word of God more perfectly unto him. And I say this, anybody who has Bible truth, I'm talking about being born of water and of spirit after repenting of sins, been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and understand the oneness of God and a life that's separated from this world, my friend, we don't owe our allegiance to anyone outside of God Himself and the Scripture. And if your conduct with anybody has any other reason than you wanted to convert them, there is a lacking in your own spiritual experience. And you are setting yourself up as a prime candidate for the acceptance of the Antichrist. I'm going to give myself a hand on that one. I believe that with all my heart. And that does not mean that we cannot respect people that are preaching under the anointing. But I am saying this, that the world right now is in a position to accept the Antichrist. Because anybody that can sing well, or anybody that can preach well, and anybody that can draw a big crowd can become a multi-millionaire off of the cross. And the cross was never designed for men to become millionaires from it was designed to save a lost and a dying world. Praise God. It wouldn't make any difference what faith or what denomination. If the man was able to perform great miracles, the world would accept him. And that, that's what the Bible is talking about. Now, we have one other scripture. Or did we read the second scripture? I think we did. Matthew 24, 24. But, brother, uh, Sister Cindy. <clears throat> All right, Sister Cindy read this. Now, Jesus, Jesus forewarned us about being deceived. And that's exactly what happens to us when we become spiritually content. Or maybe I shouldn't use the word Content, maybe I should use the word complacent. I believe that you can be content in God, yet not be complacent. I believe there has to be a hunger for, for something greater than yesterday, and still you can be content with what God has done for you today. Now that within itself would be a lesson. Maybe some of you don't understand that. But there are some people that are discontent. Uh... They can dance in the Spirit tonight, and if there isn't something that supersedes in their own intellect, something that supersedes dancing in the Spirit next Thursday night, that we didn't have a good service. And that's not true. Sometimes God moves in the dance, but sometimes He moves in the tears, too. But I just would like to say this. I do believe that the best thing that Christians can do, and that is play it safe. But yet, on the other hand, you have to understand that, that what the Scripture is saying is that there is a movement in, in the last days that will pretty much promote safety to the point that it becomes ridiculous. Now, I'm just going to interject some of my own philosophy. So you go away saying, well, he's wrong on that. Remember, I didn't say that I took this out of the Bible, all right? Okay. Right now, we're trying to promote a safe environment. And we're trying to clean up the planet Earth. And you may say, do you disagree with that? Well, I think some of the things I disagree with. I'm not saying at all 
is wrong. But, but you see, the whole problem with this is that when we're talking about Mother Earth Day and such, for the most part, people are eliminating the God who created the earth. See, that's the whole problem. And then the, the, the secondary problem, which is, is certainly not equivalent to the first, but almost, and that is we clean up everything on the outside and we don't think one thing about the environment of our heart. See, that's, that's the other thing. As long as we have good, clean clothes and clean water to drink, it doesn't make any difference what our heart is like. Now, see, that was the problem with the Pharisees. Jesus said, you are as whited sepulchers or tombs. You know, you go in a graveyard and everything's just immaculate. Flowers out, everything. But he said, keep in mind that inside of those whitewashed tombs or sepulchers, there are the bones of dead people. And he said, now that's the way you folks are. He's talking to the Pharisees. Why? Because everything environmentally had to be safe and clean. They didn't, they didn't want to drink anything. You know, that's, boy, I can't drink this. You strain it or not, Jesus said, and you swallow a camel. Now, I'm going to throw something out that, that's very daring, but something that, that, uh, that you need to understand. Now, I remember, most, I say most, I don't think anybody here will know who I'm talking about. And for this reason, I give this story. If, if, if I thought anyone here would know, I would give this. But I remember one evangelist we had many years ago that he got on this, this kick every night. He was preaching. He was talking about sugar. You know, don't take sugar because sugar's processed the same way of, of uh, heroin and this kind of thing. Well, what I did was I listened to that for a few nights. I called him aside and I said, I want to talk with you. I said, now, you're getting off on these health food things. And, uh, of course, he wanted to say that don't eat any pork. And and now I realize that the way you're addressing this is not the same way that Paul addressed it in the Scripture. But on the other hand, I do think that, that the issue is the same. And that is that after grace came, the Old Testament law was complete. We do find in the New Testament that all four-footed beasts and such were blessed of God. And, and that's addressed in the Scripture. And, and, and Paul says, let no man judge you concerning days and meats and such. And what I'd like for you to do is give some thought to this and just stick with the Scripture because you're not going to save anybody by preaching against sugar. <clears throat> you can do anything you want to do. I mean, if you don't want to eat anything but ice cream the rest of your life, that's okay. I don't really care, but let's stick with the Gospel. And, and, and see, there are a lot of things that, that, that go hand in hand with the safety of the human being. You may say, or you do not believe, Brother Grant, that we should watch what... I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. That that is secondary to the real message. That the real message is to safeguard your hearts. I think as a pastor, if you had occasion which you were talking to people, and you were talking, and, and it were necessary, uh, you could talk to people about what they eat and, and such. But on the other hand, to make a doctrine out of it, say a man's going to hell. Somebody asked me, Brother Grant, will you go to hell for overeating? I said, well, I wouldn't want to judge anybody. But I will say this, he might go to heaven a lot sooner. <clears throat> and, and you see, people can get hung up on these things. Now, please don't, don't go out and say, Brother Grant said I shouldn't be watching what I eat. I didn't say that. I'm saying don't make a doctrine out of it. That's what I'm saying. And if you do it, you should do it for health reasons and not for spiritual reasons. All right. I've said enough of that. But, but you, you follow what I'm saying. It's safe environment, safe working place, safe highway, safe everything. 
Well, you don't believe in... Oh, yes. But you see, the whole problem is that the emphasis is not placed upon the real need that man has. It's placed upon that which you can see with your eyes. Now, what about peace? Well, in the Bible, my, you can't believe the Scriptures that deal with peace. And peace has a very important thing. And it is absolutely necessary. So the first one to find Romans 5.1, stand up and read it. Caught you off guard, didn't I? Okay, Brother Pete. Brother Peter's in. All right, so we do. Peace is a big thing in the Bible. We have peace with God, and I thank the Lord for that. I think that that is extremely important. When Jesus Christ was introduced, that is, His annunciation, His coming, the angels swung low in the heavens, and they cried, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Isaiah 9, 6, the Bible says that He was indeed the Prince of Peace. So, we see this throughout the Scripture, that that emphasis is placed on peace. Now, somebody read Romans 8, 6. Okay. Brother Jeff Baum, go ahead. All right, to be spiritually minded, the Bible says, is life and peace. So, a man who constantly thinks of things from the spiritual point of, or of the spiritual perspective, he, he will have a certain measure of peace, all right? Here's a related scripture, Romans 14:17. What does it say? Most of you could quote this one. All right, who has it? Brother Mike Bakken. All right, 1 Corinthians 7.15. Without comment, my time is slipping away. We're just going to read some. Okay, Brother Mike, this is your last one. You're getting too too fast, okay? All right, God wants us to dwell in peace. 2 Corinthians 13.11. Okay, Sister Carla. All right. Doesn't God want us to have peace? Absolutely. Galatians 5.22. Talking about the fruit of the, the Spirit. Okay, Brother John Brunker. Philippians 4, 7. Okay, Brother Kurt Elke. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. All right, 1 Thessalonians 5, 13. We're real close to our Scripture text. Hebrews 12, 14. Okay, Brother McDonald. Isn't that great? John fourteen twenty seven. Brother Mike's back there just beaming. He has it. Anybody else have it? Stand up. Okay. Way in the back, Sister Connie Hicks. All right, John sixteen thirty three. Okay, go ahead. Okay, John, pardon me, James three eighteen. 
This will be our last scripture on this. Okay, Brother Mike Sandin. All right. I don't think we'd have to read any further to say that we have enough evidence that God wants us to dwell in peace and have peace. Then, then if that is true, why then, pray tell me, would there be something in the Scripture concerning the last day peace movement? Uh, and I think this lesson is quite uh, timely. You saw this in your paper today. Most of you can't see this. But this is dated Thursday, October 27th, 1994. It's in the World Edition, page 7a. Israel, Jordan, fulfill a dream. Ring by minefields, peace sites echo with stirring metaphors. This is, uh, how many of you read this in today's paper? All right. How many of you didn't read it? Let me see your hand. All right, okay. reason why I ask how many of you didn't, sometimes people don't respond one way or the other. All right. <clears throat> this, was <laughs> this was signed on the border of Israel and Jordan. Israel and Jordan inaugurated a state of peace Wednesday on grounds literally and politically ringed by minefields furthering the dream that Jew and Arab will not uh, will will be not only sons of Abraham but also brothers. Okay? The peace that was born today gives us all hope that the children born today will never know war between us. And their mothers will know no sorrow. Israel Prime Minister Rabin said as he signed the peace pact. In the Great Rift Valley at the northern tip of the Red Sea and in the midst of an arid desert, Israel made only its second peace with an Arab nation in its entire history. The first was with Egypt in 1979. Now, this is a very, very stirring article. It talks about the soldiers in the streets between the Jordanian uh, soldiers and the, and the Israeli soldiers shaking hands and giving sign language and such. Two young girls went to the platform. One was a Jewish girl. The other was a Jordanian girl. They went to the platform carrying flowers because both of them had lost their grandfathers in this uh, six-day war that happened in 1967. And uh, this, 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 is, this is something, this is what's prophesied in the Scripture. The Bible tells us, and we'll get into this a little bit later, we don't have time tonight, but the Bible tells us that, that there will be a pact or an agreement or covenant signed with Israel and that uh, this will usher in the Antichrist. It's when they, the, when Israel realizes that this agreement pretty much was, was not for real, that they really didn't mean this, or they'd broken their word. That's when they will cry out, and it's then they're crying out to God that they understand that they have been hoodwinked, so to speak. Uh, a good Texas term would be hornswaggled. <laughs> but nevertheless, they they understand that that you know that things were not right. Here in the north, it's hornswoggled. <clears throat> you ever heard of that? Just now, okay. <clears throat> and then there yesterday's paper, Vatican makes official PLO ties to secure role in peace process. And this is talking about. Uh, Pope John Paul II. And, uh, of course, he visited Israel for the first time. I guess it was in 19... When was it? 1982? At any rate, uh, what has happened here is that that the Catholic Church is reaching out to the, the PLOs and, and also to all of the Arabs in that e- area to play a larger role in in the nego- negotiation and the keeping of peace. And, of course, they, they, they state that they want to have a greater influence on 
the holy sites that uh, are controlled by Christians, Muslims, and the Jews. But uh, I, I don't think, you know, with, with looking at the paper and looking at the Bible, that anybody could, could draw a conclusion that uh, there's no doubt about it. We're living on the threshold of coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, the whole problem with the peace movement today, and, and, and it seems like everybody's conscious, everybody wants peace. Just uh, two weeks ago, I heard where Jimmy Carter, former president, is in line as perhaps the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, 1994. Now, I'm not for sure when that will be given away. I know some of them have already been given away, but I don't think that particular one has. But he has tried his best to to uh, be a peacekeeper. The whole problem, though, with the with these peace accords is that that they leave the Prince of Peace out of it. Basically, God's just left out of the picture. That's that's the whole problem right there. That God is just simply left out of the picture. Now, in the book of Isaiah, the 19th chapter, and I read this in, in one of our services. <clears throat> Isaiah, the 19th chapter, and this speaks about the day of the Lord and, and what's going to take place. In verse 23, the Bible says, In that day... Shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Syria, and the Assyrian shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. And you see, this is what this article is talking about. Of course, Assyria is no longer. Now it's Syria. All right? And that day shall Israel be third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying... Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. Basically, the Bible prophesies this is going to take place. And you know, the thing about it is, and that's what these articles are saying, that, that hey, we want to be brothers. And already they're making plans. Would you believe this came out in Time Magazine, U.S. News and World Report, Wisconsin State Journal, a good month ago, or a month and a half ago. What they said was, we want to build a freeway, something like the Americans have, that will go all the way from Egypt to Lebanon in Syria. And we want, we want this country to be opened up. We don't want the hatred. Is the hatred of God? No, I'm not saying that it's of God. But I am saying that these are things that Jesus has put in the Scripture and tells us, now you watch for these. Because when you see these things take place, you have to understand, because the peace is not based upon God or anything related to God, but just a desire to live, uh, you know, in peaceful surroundings, that this is a sign that the Lord is coming back. Of course, there cannot be any peace without God. Listen to this. I read from Isaiah 57, verse 19. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace, to him that is far off, and to him that is near, saith the Lord. I will heal him. Verse 20. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, which cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith the God, to the wicked. And, and what the Bible is saying is that, hey, all of this will not fulfill the dreams of man, because the only way these true children of Abraham will ever know peace is to know the God of peace. And that's why all of this, all of the work and everything, will go down as nothing one of these days. Because in the midst of this was not the acceptance of the true Messiah of Israel. I'd like you to stand with me. Oh, God, oh God, oh God. My, 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 he's going to come back. I really appreciate the participation of our congregation tonight in this Bible study. We had a lot of Scripture. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. There are times when we need to hear a lot of Scripture. If we have anybody among us that's a troublemaker, 
you know, <clears throat> you need to get right with God. God's against that. Not too long ago, I had to give a reference on someone, someone I'd known years ago. So they asked me, said, could you give a reference on this person? I said, well, I'll just make one little, one little statement and you can draw your own conclusion. I said, this person could destroy a steel ball with a rubber hammer. That's all I want to say. <clears throat> so let it go. Whatever conclusion you can draw from that, that's the way it is. But isn't it great to know that in the midst of a troubled world where people are seeking peace, that you can really know and find peace, the Prince of Peace. We're going to sing this song that we've sung many, many, many years, for many, many years. He's coming soon. I don't have a hymnal up here. If you have one, take it in turn. Twenty-two. Page 22. And as we sing this, we're going to give you an opportunity to come and pray. If you're a guest of ours, take the liberty to step out and come and give your heart to God tonight. Sing it, Brother McDonald. Thank you. Peace God.